Hello, it's time to read the Des Moines Register for Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of Iowans with a print disability. I'm Dave Stutz, and my partner at the microphone for the next 90 minutes is Lisa Horsch. For the first hour, we'll cover local and national news from the Des Moines Register and USA Today. Our second hour starts with birthdays and obituaries, followed by opinions, sports, and lifestyle news. We'll wrap up our broadcast with Dear Abby. Support for today's reading comes from the Des Moines Register and donations from individuals and listeners like you, and we thank you. Learn how you can keep the volunteer voices of Iris going strong at iowaradioreading.org. Now let's take a look at the weather and headlines from today's Des Moines Register. Generally across Iowa, partly sunny today. Winds south-southwest at 6 to 12 miles per hour. In central Iowa, today's high is anticipated to be at 54 and a low of 41. Tomorrow on Friday, it'll be mostly cloudy, high 60, low 38. Saturday, mostly cloudy, high 60, low 42. And then on Sunday, it'll be partly sunny and pleasant, a high up to 62 degrees and a low of 49. Tonight, sunset is at 6.09 p.m. Looking at the headlines from the front page of the Des Moines Register. Residents sought investigation over books, accused West Des Moines schools of giving porn to kids. A terrible thing and a terrible mistake. Likely caucus goers are split with Trump over abortion ban comment. And how to take part in Iowa's Democrats' mail-in caucus. Looking at the uh, metro section... Driver denies drag racing in Fleur Drive fatal crash trial. And Iowa Mobile ID allows residents a digital form of identification. And now we'll turn to uh, Lisa for our first article. All right. Residents sought investigation over books. This is written by Chris Higgins as part of an occasional series. Records obtained by the Des Moines Register show just how far some West Des Moines parents took their fight to have two books they believed were inappropriate removed from schools before Republicans passed a new law that now bans them. Emails obtained by the Register show that some residents took their case to the Polk County Attorney's Office in late 2021, accusing the West Des Moines School District of giving pornography to children. Signed by four people, a letter asked for a criminal investigation over two books available in school libraries, Gender Queer by Maya Kobabi and All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson, both of which are acclaimed LGBTQ memoirs that contain sexual content. One of those people asking for criminal charges to be handed down was Terry Patrick, who is running for school board in West Des Moines in the November 7th election. She's also listed as the education chair for the Polk County chapter of Moms for Liberty, the conservative activist group that has the support of Governor Kim Reynolds. Patrick did not respond to text messages, emails, or a phone call for comment on this story. 
Their attempt to ban genderqueer from West Des Moines schools illustrates the frustration some activists felt over the book challenge process that was channeled into the sweeping new education bill, Senate File 496, which took effect July 1. Since this spring, the Register has been exploring the events leading to the law and its impact. The law bans books with sex acts from school, Iowa schools and prohibits instruction about gender identity and sexual orientation in younger grades. School districts have started removing books from their library shelves to comply with the law, pulling classic novels, popular young adult fiction, dystopian novels, children's books, and LG, with LGBTQ themes, and more. Some parents are frustrated by the multi-step book reconsideration process. Before the new law passed in May, school districts in Iowa had a formal process in place for residents to challenge books they believed should be restricted or removed. That still exists. It typically involves filling out a form to make the case in writing, a district committee reading the book, reviewing the complaint, and making a recommendation about whether to keep or restrict the work, and multiple steps of appeal that ultimately could result in a school board vote. Iowa Republicans have said they heard from parents that the system was difficult to navigate. Other proponents of Senate File 496 also said the process was too lengthy, subjective, biased, and ultimately did not address their concerns about what they felt was obscene material in schools. Patrick used that system to formally, or formally challenge genderqueer in October of 2021, according to West Des Moines School District documents. Genderqueer is a coming-of-age visual memoir that traces Kobabi's real-life journey with sexuality and gender and includes frank images of masturbation, nudity, and sexual fantasy. According to the October 2021 challenge form, Patrick did not want the book available at Valley Southwood's freshman high school. She believed the book to be pornographic and sexually explicit and felt law enforcement should investigate if the district had violated Iowa law relating to distributing obscene material. Two committees keep genderqueer on the shelf. An initial building-level committee reviewed the book and appeal in November of 2021. The committee determined that genderqueer was properly selected under school policy calling for the library to have books with a wide range of topics, views, and backgrounds. It found that the book is autobiographical with literary merit, not pornographic. Patrick appealed and an administration-level committee also voted to keep the book in January of 2022. The committee found that Genderqueer is an autobiographical memoir that could help students find a sense of belonging and parents could limit what books their children should check out or could check out. The superintendent upheld the decision, prompting Patrick to take her request to the school board in March of 2022. She told the board there could be books supporting LGBTQ students and literature students could connect with that did not have the objectionable content in Genderqueer. Patrick's challenge to Genderqueer was one of 100 school book challenges the register documented statewide between August of 2020 and May of 2023, before Senate File 496 took effect. Parents and caregivers had challenged the book eight times in schools across Iowa during that time. Parent takes genderqueer challenge to the state. The West Des Moines School Board also opted to keep genderqueer on the shelf, deciding it had literary and artistic merit. One board member, incumbent Jeff Hicks, who is also running for this year's election, said during the hearing it seemed insulting to suggest that educators who devote their lives to protecting children were distributing pornography. 
Patrick then appealed the board's decision to the Iowa Board of Education following an administrative law hearing before a judge in the summer of 2022. The state board voted in August of 2022 that it did not have jurisdiction in the case because Patrick's child was in 10th grade and not a student at the freshman high school at the time of the complaint. The school board's decision stood. Residents tried to get the county attorney to criminally investigate the school district. In the middle of Patrick's challenge process, she and three others wrote to then Polk County Attorney John Sarcone on December 14, 2021, asking his office to investigate the West Des Moines School District for allegedly violating a state law about giving obscene material to minors. The register obtained the letter and the email chain and verified them through a public records request with Polk County. Three of the people who signed the letter could not be reached for comment and the register is not identifying them as private individuals. The register named Patrick because she is running for public office. The materials they question were the two LGBTQ memoirs available in the high school libraries, Gender Queer and All Boys Aren't Blue. The letter alleged that the district was distributing pornography to children and called the reconsideration process inadequate to address the issue. Like Gender Queer, Johnson's All Boys Aren't Blue is an award-winning memoir that's based on the author's real life and contains scenes depicting overt sexual activity. As your office serves as the chief law enforcement of the county, we are writing to inform you of incidents where pornographic material is being disseminated to children. The letter says, the written descriptions and images in these books are blatant such that immediate action should be taken. One of the writers of the letter allowed or followed up as Patrick's challenge and appeals continued. One parent, they wrote, tried to file a police report over the books. After the West Des Moines School Board voted to keep genderqueer on the shelf, the writer said in an April 2022 email that they felt like they were being passed from public resource to public resource and felt limited by the existing book challenge process. The person raised the possibility of the county attorney pursuing a civil court proceeding under a section of Iowa obscenity law. A West Des Moines police officer wrote back to say that the matter was likely civil, not criminal, and the police department would not be an appropriate resource. No court case appears to have been filed against the school district over genderqueer or all boys aren't blue. Controversial books are now banned in Iowa schools under a new law. Conservative activists then took their case to the Iowa legislature and lobbied them to change the law. In 2023, Republican legislators examined and criticized the existing book reconsideration process during the legislative session before they passed Senate File 496. The West Des Moines District has since removed genderqueer, all boys aren't blue, and 45 other books to comply with the new law, according to recent register data. The register has learned that the Carlisle School District pulled genderqueer under Senate File 496 after the school board voted to, in 2022 to keep it on the shelf following a formal appeal. The Urbandale School District also removed genderqueer from its collection after a committee voted to retain the book in 2021. Norwalk, West Des Moines, Iowa City, Urbandale, Riverside, and Louisa Muscatine all have removed All Boys Aren't Blue. Gender Queer has been removed in Ankeny, Waukee, and Indianola be schools before Senate File 496 was passed. Um, Des Moines Register reporter Katie Atkin contributed to the story. Chris Higgins, who wrote the majority of it, covers the eastern suburbs for the Register.
Dave. Thank you, Lisa. <clears throat> Again, on the front page, a lead story also from the Des Moines Register. The headline reads, A Terrible Thing and a Terrible Mistake. This is uh, from the Iowa Poll. Likely caucus goers split with Trump over abortion ban comment. This story was submitted by Katie Aiken of the Des Moines Register and the USA Today Network. Former President Donald Trump holds a commanding lead among likely Republican caucus goers in Iowa, even though most Iowa Republicans disagree with his comment that a six-week abortion ban is, quote, a terrible mistake, end quote. In a September Meet the Press interview, Trump said a Florida law signed by Governor Ron DeSantis that bans nearly all abortions after six weeks of pregnancy was, quote, a terrible thing and a terrible mistake, end quote. Iowa lawmakers passed a similar six-week ban earlier this year, although it has been temporarily blocked from taking effect during a legal challenge. A Des Moines Register, NBC, News, Mediacom, Iowa poll asked likely Republican caucus goers whether they agreed with Trump that a six-week abortion ban is a terrible mistake. A majority, 52%, disagree with Trump. About one in three, 36%, agree. 12% are not sure. Even many of Trump's supporters are not aligned with him on the issue. Among Republicans who say Trump is their first choice, just 40% agree that a six-week ban is a mistake. The October 22nd through 26th poll of 404 registered voters in Iowa who say they will definitely or probably attend the 2024 Republican caucuses was conducted by Selzer and Company. It has a margin of error of plus or minus 4.9% percentage points. 41% of likely Republican caucus goers say abortion restrictions are extremely important uh, as an issue as they evaluate which candidate to support. Another 38% say the issue is important. But follow-up interviews with poll respondents reveal a willingness to overlook Trump's comment on the six-week ban. Poll respondent Kimberly Shady, a retail employee living in Clinton, fondly recalls Trump's first term. His policies work, and we felt safe the whole four years he was in office, said Shady, age 61, in a follow-up interview with the Des Moines Register. He's done what he said he was going to do. But Shady is also a firm believer that abortions should be illegal after cardiac activity is detected in an embryo, which happens at about six weeks of pregnancy. When there's a heartbeat, that is a living being, Shady said. When asked about the disconnect between Trump's stance on abortion and her own, Shady replied, everybody has a right to their own beliefs. She still plans to caucus for Trump next year. Poll respondent Levi uh, Wailenga, a 39-year-old trucker from Sioux City, is another staunch Trump supporter who disagrees with the terrible mistake comment. Uh, Wailenga said he hasn't seen the context for Trump's statement, 
But he speculated it went primarily as an attack on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. I don't think he really means that, Wayinga said. I think Trump just gets so blinded by his inability to decipher issues versus people or sin versus sinner. Anything Ron DeSantis does is evil and bad, you know. Wayinga said he wants state governments to decide abortion laws without federal interference. On the other end of the spectrum are poll respondents such as Cammy Pohl, a 54-year-old tour manager from Davenport. Pohl's top priority for 2024 is preventing Trump from becoming the party's nominee. She was, quote, very disappointed, end quote, that Trump did not accept that he lost the 2020 election, and she said Trump is not a good representative for the party. But Pohl, a self-described moderate Republican, said she opposes laws, quote, against women's bodies, end quote, and she agrees with Trump's dismissal of a six-week ban. I definitely agree with that. It is a terrible mistake, Pohl said. Women are not just willy-nilly going out and having abortions because they are fun. If you ask anybody that has to make that decision, it's quite a difficult decision, she said. Even so, it's not enough to make Pohl a Trump supporter. She plans to caucus for former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchison or South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. And if Trump becomes the nominee, Poll says, I guess I'll be voting for Biden. On Meet the Press, Trump avoided giving specific answers about his plans for abortion. He said he would find an abortion limit that everyone could agree on, but he wouldn't say whether he would support a federal abortion ban after 15 weeks, as some Republicans have proposed. I think they're all going to like me. I think both sides are going to like me, Trump said. On the campaign trail, Trump has called himself, quote, the most pro-life president, end quote, in history after appointing three conservative Supreme Court justices who ultimately rejected the constitutional right to an abortion that, that America lived by for decades. But Trump also stated that abortion can be a losing issue for Republicans. This issue cost us unnecessarily but dearly in the midterms, Trump said at a September campaign event in Dubuque. It cost us dearly, really, and unnecessarily. Republican primary opponents have targeted Trump for his lukewarm stance on abortion. A pro-DeSantis PAC uh, launched an Iowa ad campaign Monday focused on Trump's dismissal of a six-week ban. Scott told Iowans that he would back a 15-week ban federally while Trump would, quote, walk back away, end quote. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds defended Iowa's abortion law on social media, writing, it's never a terrible thing to protect an innocent life. Lisa? How to Take Part in Iowa Democrats' Mail-In Caucus. This is written by Brianne Fanfensteel and Stephen Gruber-Miller. Iowa Democrats can now begin requesting ballots for the party's first-ever mail-in presidential caucus, with the results to be announced on March 5th, Super Tuesday. The Iowa Democratic Party announced in May that it would move in 2024 to an absentee caucus system for casting presidential preferences to improve access and participation. 
In October, party leaders said they would acquiesce to national Democrats and give up their long-held first-in-the-nation status in favor of a Super Tuesday contest in March. I'm excited to officially begin our 2024 Iowa caucus process. We're committed to making this the most inclusive Iowa caucus in history, Iowa Democratic Party Chair Rita Hart said in a news release Wednesday. Iowans who work a third shift, families that may not have access to childcare, or seniors who are homebound can now make their voices heard in our presidential process. Here's what we know about how the process will work. Are Iowa Democrats holding a caucus or a primary in 2024? Iowa Democrats are essentially shifting to a party-run primary, though they continue to use the vocabulary of a caucus. The party is still calling its presidential nominating event a caucus, even though it does not require Democrats to gather together to cast presidential preferences. They have also adopted presidential preference cards, which will function functionally act as ballots. For years, Iowa Democrats have avoided any form of paper balloting to help distinguish their caucuses from New Hampshire's primaries. Although absentee voting for the caucus begins in January, the results won't be announced until March 5, effectively meaning that Iowa will have a Super Tuesday contest with more than a half dozen other states. The party will still hold in-person caucuses on January 15th, the same day Iowa Republicans will hold their traditional first-in-the-nation presidential caucuses, but only to conduct other party business unrelated to picking a presidential nominee. The party said Wednesday that it will announce a list of in-person caucus locations soon. How can Iowa Democrats request a preference card for the 2024 presidential primary? Starting November 1, any registered Iowa Democrat may request a presidential preference card through a form that can be submitted online or downloaded, printed, and emailed or, and mailed in. Democrats can go to a website to fill out the online form. Um, it's iowademocrats.org slash 2024-caucus-2. A Spanish version of the form is also available on the website. Alternatively, Democrats can choose to download and print a physical form rather than filling it out online. Printed request forms must be mailed to the Iowa Democratic Party at 5661 Floor Drive in Des Moines, um, 50321, or Democrats can mail their request forms to preference card request at iowademocrats.org. Iowa Democrats have until 5 p.m. February 19th to request a ballot. Those ballots will be mailed to participants beginning January 12th, 2024. Iowans with questions or who wish to ask for a request form by phone can call a helpline at 515-216-3893. The line will be monitored by Iowa Democratic Party staff and volunteers. The request form requires the register to attest that they are eligible to vote in the 2024 general election, that they are a registered Democrat, and that they live at the address listed on the form. They will also be required to attest that they have not participated in any other political party's caucus. How and when do Iowa Democrats need to return their preference cards for the 2024 presidential primary? Preference cards must be put back in the mail and postmarked by March 5th in order to count. The Iowa Democratic Party did not share any information Wednesday about how Democrats will be able to send in their preference cards. What will Democrats' presidential preference cards look like? The party said the preference cards will have Democratic candidates' names printed on them just as they would be on a ballot. 
The Iowa Democratic Party's State Central Committee will meet December 2nd to vote on which candidates' names will appear on the preference cards. When will we know the results of Iowa's 2024 Democratic primary? Iowa Democrats have said they plan to release the results on March 5, which is known as Super Tuesday, when voters head to the polls in more than a dozen states, but they have not said at what time they plan to announce the results. The party says it plans to accept any preference cards postmarked by March 5, even if they arrive later. They have not said yet said there will be a cutoff date when they will no longer accept late arriving results. That means that the results the party releases on March 5 could change as late arriving preference cards are counted. Who is the vendor and what will this cost? The Iowa Democratic Party will contract, contract with a team led by Amber McReynolds, who is the founding CEO of the National Vote at Home Institute, a nonprofit that encouraged mail-in voting in the 2020 election. McReynolds was appointed to, to the U.S. Postal Service Board of Governors by President Joe Biden and confirmed by the U.S. Senate in 2021. She formerly worked as Director of Elections for the City and County of Denver. Her LinkedIn profile lists her as the principal and founder of Strategy Rose LLC. It's important to me that this process runs smoothly, and that's why we're excited to partner with Amber and her team, which has a combined 50 years of election administration experience, Hart said in a news release. The Iowa Democratic Party has not said how much it expects the process to cost, though it expects it will be less than the 2016 and 2020 caucuses. Because it is not a state-run primary conducted by state infrastructure, the Iowa Democratic Party will bear the cost, like it always has for the caucuses. But since Iowa Democrats are no longer holding the first-in-the-nation contest, there's likely to be less money coming in from donors or through major fundraisers that help support previous caucuses. How will Iowa Republicans caucus in 2024? Iowa Republicans will continue to caucus the same way they have for decades. They will meet at 7 p.m. on January 15th at precinct locations scattered across the state to cast their own presidential preferences in person. Thank you, Lisa. I am now turning to the Metro and Iowa section of the uh, Des Moines Register. The headline reads, Driver Denies Drag Racing in Fleur Drive Fatal Crash Trial. The story is written by William Morris of the Des Moines Register. Denying he had been drag racing, a driver accused of contributing to a fatal crash in December testified Tuesday he was not trying to avoid unsafe driving before his friend in another car lost control and hit an oncoming vehicle. And I don't know if I read that uh, correctly, so I'm just going to go back and uh, backtrack there. Uh, testified Tuesday he was trying to avoid unsafe driving. I think I may have said not. Keith Jones, 48, is on trial on multiple vehicular homicide and serious injury charges, as well as leaving the scene of the December 13 crash that killed Marcos Figuera, age 4, and seriously injured Marcos's aunt, Myra de Catalan. Prosecutors say Jones and another driver, Robert Miller III, were drag racing on Fleur Drive after an afternoon of drinking when Miller crossed the median and struck the uh, Catalan's SUV. 
Miller was previously convicted and sentenced to serve 30 years in prison. On Tuesday, after opposing testimony from alcohol experts disputing whether he likely was or was not intoxicated at the time of the accident, Jones took the stand to testify for himself. Under questioning from defense attorney Van Plum, Jones said that he could tell Miller was trying to race against him and wanted no part of it. I know Mr. Miller, and I know the purpose for him driving next to me at that time, hitting his brakes to get nose-to-nose, Jones said. I noticed he was trying to entice me. This close friend of mine, he's very competitive in everything. Jones described his actions as the two proceeded north on Floor Drive. He admitted he had been driving fast, which he attributed to how people usually drove when he had previously lived in Chicago, but denied weaving through traffic or gunning his engine at traffic lights. Plum also has argued that Jones's vehicle, an expensive BMW SUV, could easily have outpaced Miller's car had he intended to race. Jones repeated that argument when Plum asked. There were no cars ahead of us for a while. He would never have caught me, Jones said, before denying he had raced. Jones admitted he did not remain at the scene of the crash or call police, saying that when he got out of the car to check on Miller, other bystanders already were calling 911. When he learned afterward that police wanted to speak with him, he said he contacted an attorney and arranged to turn himself in. In another story, uh, this will be of interest to some folks that are interested in the Ward 1 Des Moines Council campaign. Strope Bogus drops out. She backs Coleman. The story is written by Virginia Beretta. Kimberly Strope Bogus has suspended her campaign for the Ward 1 seat on the Des Moines City Council. Strope Bogus told the Des Moines Register she came to the decision with a heavy heart over the weekend with a discussion with friends and family. There's now six candidates running to represent Northwest Des Moines in the special election on November 7th. The winner will replace former council member Indira Shoemaker, who recently resigned. It's such a crowded race, Strope Bogus said, adding that she has learned so much over the past several months of campaigning. I've done enough campaigns where you've got to look at yourself and you just kind of know it's not your time, she said. Strope Bogus said she started a new job as development director for a nonprofit and was concerned that raising money for the cam uh, for the organization and her campaign simultaneously could be a conflict of interest. She also wondered how she might balance the two commitments. I sincerely appreciate all of the support I've received since announcing in September, and I will forever be grateful for their time, donations, and encouragement, Stroke Bogus said in a statement on Wednesday. She is now throwing her support behind Chris Coleman, a former at-large city council member, whom she says is known for more than a decade. She believes his previous experience on the council will help him get things done for Ward 1 residents. The six candidates running are Rob Barron, Coleman, Kathy Helstern, Dennis McCullough, R.J. Miller, 
and Rose Marie Smith. Lisa? Iowa Mobile ID allows residents digital form of identification. The app can store driver's license on a smartphone. This is written by Victoria Reina Rodriguez. The Iowa Department of Transportation announced that Iowa Mobile ID is now available in the Apple App Store and Google Play, allowing Iowans to keep a digital version of their license or ID on their smartphone. I'm so proud of the DOT and the Department of Revenue's Alcoholic Beverages Division working together on an innovative solution that provides convenience and added security for Iowans as they use their IDs for a variety of purposes, said Governor Kim Reynolds in an Iowa DOT news release. Does Iowa Mobile ID app replace my driver's license? The Iowa Mobile ID app is free and optional for all Iowans to download, while the app keeps a digital version of the Iowa-issued driver's license or ID. It does not replace the physical card. All Iowans should still carry their physical card, according to Iowa DOT, ensuring that businesses understand their options available to begin accepting mobile identification is key to the adoption of this technology. How does mobile, Iowa Mobile ID work? To get started, download the app on your phone. Next, you will scan your physical driver's license, taking, take a selfie to verify your identity before finally setting an app security, such as a passcode. After setup, Iowa's mobile ID uses a QR code to create a contactless and more secure way to verify your identity. The app also allows Iowans to be more in control of their information as users have to approve requests for transactions before any information is shared. Don't drive without your physical driver's license. Cops may not be able to accept mobile ID. Iowa law still requires drivers to carry a physical driver's license. If you get pulled over while driving in Des Moines, officers will use the tools available to us and a healthy dose of common sense when confirming whether or not a person is licensed to drive in the state of Iowa, said Sergeant Paul Parizic, the spokesperson for the Des Moines Police Department. Iowa State Patrol Sergeant Alex Dinkla said the Iowa DOT is releasing the program in phases and many law enforcement agencies, including the State Patrol, are not equipped to accept mobile identification at this time. Where can I use Iowa Mobile ID instead of my physical driver's license? Iowa Mobile ID is accepted as a valid form of identification at a variety or various businesses throughout the state. Businesses can use the Iowa ABD Age to purchase app from the Alcoholic Beverages Division of the Iowa Department of Revenue. It can also be used at TSA PreCheck at the Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, and other participating airports. Iowa DOT said Iowans are encouraged to look at the Iowa Mobile ID logo on doors or at the point of sale in businesses across the state. Businesses that have let the Iowa DOT know they accept mobile ID are also listed on the Iowa Mobile ID website. As of Wednesday afternoon, 23 businesses statewide were listed, including seven bars or restaurants and more than a dozen vape shops. Businesses interested in learning how to accept Iowa Mobile ID can also visit the website to get information about their options. DeSantis' campaign hits Iowa airwaves with its first ad buy ahead of caucuses. A 30-day 
or excuse me, a 30-second spot slated to launch this month. Katie Aiken of the Des Moines Register submitted this story. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign launched its first Iowa television ad of the 2024 cycle on Wednesday, heading the airways weeks earlier than planned. The 30-second ad contra- contrasts DeSantis' leadership of Florida with President Joe Biden's tenure in office. It highlights DeSantis' efforts to bring Americans back from Israel to recover after hurricane damage and his deployment of Florida troops to the southern border. The campaign initially reserved a $2 million ad buy, which would begin in mid-November and run through the January 15th Iowa caucus. Then made an additional $320,000 buy to launch on November 1st instead. In a Wednesday news release, the campaign credited a strong fundraising pace in the fourth quarter for the additional airtime. DeSantis reported raising $15 million in the third quarter of this year between his campaign and his, quote, never back down, end quote, political action committee. Former President Donald Trump announced his campaign raised more than $45 million in the same time period. The surprise ad launch also comes just days after a new Des Moines Register, NBC News, uh, Mediacom, Iowa poll found that DeSantis and former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley tied for second place among likely Republican caucus goers. They trail 27 points behind former Trump, Trump, whose 43% of poll respondents named as their first choice for president. A super PAC supporting Trump recently launched a six-figure ad buy in Iowa attacking DeSantis. The DeSantis campaign contends that that ad is a, quote, a sign that DeSantis has Trump on the defense in the Hawkeye state, end quote. Although Wednesday's ad buy is the first from DeSantis's official campaign, Never Back Down has already unveiled several ads on his behalf. DeSantis will return to Iowa on Friday, visiting at least five more counties on his 99-county bus tour. He'll be in Des Moines on November 6 for a rally before the next GOP debate in Miami on November 8th. And in another short story... From the Metro uh, section, mom sentenced to prison for neglect in five-year-old's death. Kyle Werner of the Des Moines Register submitted this story. A Des Moines mom was sentenced up to 32 years in prison on Monday after pleading guilty to six counts of child endangerment and three counts of neglect over the death of her five-year-old son. Erica Lynn Rankins, age 38, of Des Moines, was charged and warrants for her arrest were issued in 2021. Her son, Jamal Rankins, was found unresponsive in the bathtub on December 20th of 2020, with an autopsy showing he had extensive injuries and suffered physical neglect. 
The warrants were based on evidence discovered through the investigation of Jamal's death, including video and audio recordings Rankins made, showing her physically and psychologically abusing him, according to a news release from the Polk County Attorney's Office. Rankins was arrested in Minnesota in November of 2022. Rankins pled guilty in September and was sentenced on Monday. In addition to the new charges, the judge revoked her probation on three counts of third-degree theft that gave her the original six-year prison term for violating her probation, according to the news release. Rankin also was ordered to have no contact with her four other children. Bird flu hits turkey operation in Iowa's Buena Vista County. This is written by Donnell Eller. Bird flu has struck a commercial turkey operation with about 30,000 birds in northwest Iowa's Buena Vista County, the Iowa Department of Agriculture reported Tuesday. It's the third northwest Iowa commercial turkey facility that's been infected with highly pathogenic avian influenza this fall. Two have been in Buena Vista County and a third in neighboring Pocahontas County. Altogether, about 127,500 turkeys have been destroyed to prevent the spread of the deadly disease. A fourth case was reported October 23rd in a backyard flock with about 50 birds in central Iowa's Guthrie County. The deadly virus reappeared this fall with the migration of wild birds, which often carry the disease without appearing sick. The current outbreak in Iowa began March 2022 and has resulted in the destruction of 16.05 million chickens, turkeys, and other birds, U.S. Department of Agriculture data shows. Nationally, 60 million birds have been killed to prevent the disease's spread. State officials urge commercial and backyard flock owners to prevent contact between their birds and wild birds. According to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the recent infections in birds do not present a public health concern and it remains safe to eat poultry products. Iowa corn yield ridiculously good despite drought summer's heat. Jared Strong is the writer of this article for the Iowa Capital Dispatch. Farmers in Iowa are routinely harvesting more than 200 bushels of corn per acre this year despite widespread drought as the harvest reaches its conclusion according to field agronomists for Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. Our corn hybrids are much better adapted to dry conditions now than they were 20 years ago, said agronomist Angela Reek Hintz, Heinz, who monitors part of North Central Iowa. Most people were extremely fortunate that they caught a rain or two at the end of June, and then they caught some more in August. About 77% of the state's corn has been harvested for grain, according to the Monday report by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. About 93% of soybeans have also been harvested. That is eight days ahead of the five-year average. Crops matured more quickly this year amid the drought and record-breaking heat in late August and in early September. The vast majority of the state is suffering from some measure of drought, and those conditions are expected to continue at least through January, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor. In eastern Iowa, nearly a quarter of the state is in extreme drought, the second worst dryness classification. Still, farmers are poised to post one of their best years for crop yields. The USDA predicted this month that corn yields would average about 199 bushels per acre. The actual figure won't be finalized for months. 
Yields are really just ridiculously good, said Megan Anderson, an agronomist who monitors central Iowa. It's not amazing across the board, but for the most part, people are super pleasantly surprised. Rain improves the soil moisture. To keep moisture in the soil, Anderson advises farmers for now to avoid tilling fields unless absolutely necessary. About 53% of the state's topsoil has adequate or surplus soil moisture for growing crops, which is an increase from last week and nearly double what it was a year ago. The state averaged about an inch of precipitation last week, according to state climatologist Justin Gleason. That is more than double what it typically expected this time of year. Widespread rain fell across Iowa over several days last week, and a cold blast brought the first measurable snow to northern Iowa, said Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nig. The weather forecast looks drier over the next week, with temperatures slowly climbing to near-seasonal, offering farmers an excellent window to harvest or complete other field work. Despite the recent temperature drop, last week averaged about 7 degrees above normal. Livestock pasture conditions improved slightly, the USDA said. About 20% of pastures are rated good or excellent, but getting water to pastured cattle continues to be an issue, issue for some of the producers, it said. Thank you, Lisa. I am turning to page 5A on the section A of the, uh, of the register this, uh, today. And this is um, a story of uh, national, international interest, Americans among first foreigners to leave Gaza. Palestinian Israeli death toll tops 10,000. This story comes from USA Today. John Bacon and uh, George Ortiz wrote the story. Egypt began allowing foreign passport holders and some wounded civilians trapped in the Gaza Strip to flee through the Rafah crossing Wednesday as the humanitarian crisis intensified and the war's combined death toll reported by Palestinian and Israeli authorities climbed above 10,000. The U.S. State Department amid multiple said multiple Americans left Gaza for Egypt, and others are expected to follow suit in the coming days, but did not specify how many made it out. Department spokesman Matthew Miller said about 400 U.S. citizens are seeking to leave the territory, and along with their family members. The toll seeking to exit is close to 1,000. We do expect to be able to get all our Americans out. It will take time, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby told reporters. This was the first step. Palestinian authorities said more than 400 foreign passport holders would be leaving Gaza on Wednesday. Egypt has refused to accept Palestinian refugees amid concerns Israel might not allow them to return after the war. More than 2 million Palestinians remain trapped in Gaza, while Israel has bombed the territory relentlessly since the brutal attack of Hamas militants on Israeli border communities, and that was on October 7th. The situation in shelters remains critical, and very limited assistance available and no additional space to accommodate the increasing number of internally displaced people, the UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees said in a statement. 
The UNRWA said more than 670,000 Palestinians living in about 150 of the UNWRA shelters across Gaza are, quote, facing deteriorating humanitarian conditions and health and protection risks, end quote. Now Israeli soldiers are pouring into Gaza as the ground invasion drives more Palestinians from their homes. The eyes of the whole world are looking at us, Israeli Brigadier General Itzik Cohen told ground troops entering Gaza. The people of Israel trust us and stand behind us. More than 1,400 people in Israel have been killed, most of them civilians slain in the first hours of the Hamas rampage, Israel authorities said. The U.S. State Department said 33 Americans have been killed. About 240 people were taken hostage. Five of them have since gained their freedom. The Palestinian death toll has reached 8,805, according to the Hamas-run health ministry in Gaza. In the Israeli-occupied West Bank, more than 130 Palestinians have been killed, authorities there say. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken will travel to the Middle East for the second time in three weeks on Friday, initially visiting Israel and Jordan before possibly other nations in the region, the State Department said. There have been 27 rocket and drone attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria, according to the Pentagon, which said it's sending 300 more troops to the Middle East with specialization in explosive ordnance disposal and communications. The Israel-Hamas war could have major implications for Americans, possibly inspiring extremists to try to attack the United States and other Western nations, FBI Director Christopher Wray told a Senate committee on Tuesday. Ray said there has been an increase in calls for such action from foreign groups in recent weeks, as the United States has staunchly stood behind Israel and added that the number of threat figures to grow if the war expands. We assess that the actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration, the likes of which we have not seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate years uh, years ago, Ray said. Ray also pointed out that Jewish people make up only 2.4% of the United States population, but are the targets of 60% of the religion-based hate crimes, which he called, quote, jarring, end quote. This is a threat that is reaching, in some ways, sort of historic levels, he said. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland said a Cornell University student's arrest on Tuesday for threatening Jewish students illustrated Justice Department coordination with local law enforcement to combat, combat hate crimes. Patrick Day, 21, of Pittsford, New York, was charged with posting threatening messages in an online discussion calling for the deaths of Jewish people. Garland noted a significant increase in the volume and frequency of threats against Jewish, Arab, and Muslim communities nationwide since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. As this arrest shows, 
We are focusing our efforts on confronting and disrupting illegal threats wherever they arise, Garland said Wednesday at a Washington seminar for a program he initiated called United Against Hate. The Justice Department has no tolerance for violence or unlawful threats of violence fueled by anti-Semitism or Islamophobia. The Israel Defense Forces said in a tweet on Wednesday that it, quote, eliminated, quote, Mohammed Assar, whom it described as the chief of Hamas's anti-tank missile unit in Gaza and the leader of attacks against Israeli forces and civilians. Earlier on Wednesday, the Hamas-run government said Israeli airstrikes hit apartment buildings in the Jabalia refugee camp for a second day, causing an undetermined number of deaths and injuries in the Hamas stronghold near Gaza City. The Israeli military said it had, quote, significantly expanded, quote, ground operations in the area. The attack, after a flurry of Israeli airstrikes on Tuesday on the largest refugee camp in Gaza, caused dozens of casualties and flattened apartment buildings. The buildings tumbled when Hamas tunnels beneath them collapsed. Israeli Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari said at a press briefing on Wednesday, These, once again, demonstrate how murderous terrorists use civilians as a, quote, human shield, end quote. Civilians whom we have called upon to evacuate for their own safety, he said. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guderius is appalled over the escalating violence in Gaza, including the Israeli air strikes in the Jabalia refugee camp, his spokesman said on Wednesday. Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates each issued statements condemning Israel's airstrikes on the refugee camp, noting the dangerous and escalating conditions in Gaza. The UAE, which uh, diplomatically recognized Israel in 2020, warned that indiscriminate attacks will result in irreparable ramifications in the region. And three South American countries have served ties have severed ties, rather, with Israel in response to the country's ground offensive in Gaza. Chile and Colombia recalled their ambassadors to Israel on Tuesday, citing humanitarian concerns for Gaza citizens. If Israel does not stop the massacre of the Palestinian people, we cannot be there, Colombian President Gustavo Petro said on X, formerly known as Twitter. Bolivia cut diplomatic relations with Israel and called for the country to end its military offensive. Najab Mitakaki, leading Lebanon's paralyzed government, called Wednesday for a five-day ceasefire for humanitarian purposes as Hezbollah and Israeli troops continued to clash along Lebanon's border. Mataki, struggling to keep the war from expanding into his country, said the pause would accommodate prisoner exchanges and allow for talks aimed at ending the fighting. The decision to go to war today is in Israel's hands, he said. Israel, which has steadfastly rejected previous calls for a ceasefire, 
A ceasefire said Wednesday that its military had intercepted a surface-to-air missile launched from Lebanese territory toward an Israeli drone. In response, Israeli aircraft struck the origin of the missile launch as well as the terrorist who carried out the launch, the military said. Now we'll look back to uh, Lisa, and she can take us up to uh, top of the hour, where we will have our birthday announcements. Nation and World Briefs. Cleanup is done on big Kansas oil spill on the Keystone system. This comes from Topeka, Kansas. The operator of the Keystone Pipeline system has finished cleaning up a massive December 2022 oil spill and the creek affected by its naturally flow is flowing naturally again, the company said, and the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency as well. Pipeline operator TC Energy promised to continue monitoring the site along Mill Creek in Washington County, about 150 miles northwest of Kansas City. The Canadian company and the EPA's regional office said Tuesday that berms had been diverting the creek around the spill site. Those berms have been removed. The EPA said Kansas's Environmental Agency and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers will continue to inspect the area for the next five years or until it is determined that monitoring is no longer needed. The spill dumped nearly 13,000 barrels of crude oil into the creek as it ran through a rural pasture. The oil was recovered by mid-May, the company said. ACLU and families of trans teens ask high court to block Tennessee ban. This comes from Nashville, Tennessee. Attorneys representing Tennessee transgender teens and their families asked the U.S. Supreme Court on Wednesday to block a ban on gender-affirming care for minors that a lower court allowed to go into effect. Should the nation's highest court take the case, it would mark the justices' first time to weigh in on restrictions on puberty blockers and hormone therapy for transgender people under 18. Since 2021, more than 20 states have enacted laws restricting or banning such treatments, even though they have been available in the United States for more than a decade and are endorsed by major medical associations. According to court documents filed Wednesday, the American Civil Liberties Union is asking the Supreme Court to review a September decision handed down by the 6th U.S. Court District or Circuit Court of Appeals that allowed bans in Kentucky and Tennessee to remain in effect. Police in Japan arrest suspect after eight hours of hostage drama. This comes from Tokyo. Police ended an eight-hour standoff at a post office north of Tokyo by arresting the armed suspect after two hostages were freed safely in an attack that authorities said could be related to an earlier shooting at the hospital. The man had entered the post office with a gun in Warabi on Tuesday, about an hour after the hospital shooting in which two people were wounded in the nearby city of Toda. Police said they captured the suspect when they stormed into the building about an hour after the second of the two postal staff who remained in the building had escaped unhurt. The other hostage had walked out safely nearly two hours earlier. Police said they were investigating the hospital and post office attacks together because they could be related. They are also looking into a fire in a building where the 86-year-old suspect reportedly lived.